Hi, I'm Gavin Givanoni. I'm the Professor of Neurology at Bart's and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I'm talking about a issue that comes up quite regularly in uh, MS clinical practice about applying eligibility criteria for disease-modifying therapy uh, retrospectively. I think the case I discuss here highlights why the practice of medicine and neurology is an art uh, and not necessarily a science because we have to make decisions uh, often in practice without a very good evidence base to support that decision. Now this is a particular example. I saw a patient a few weeks ago who came to me for a uh, actually a third opinion. Um, she had relapsing MS, uh, had failed dimethyl fumarate in the past and had been switched about two years ago to ocrelizumab and has done very well on ocrelizumab. She's been relapse free and her annual MRI scans have showed no new lesions. However, with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic highlighting safety issues around um, high disease severity and uh, blunted vaccine responses, she is not keen to stay on ocrelizumab long term and asked her local neurologist and local MS team if she could switch to an immune reconstitution therapy. And they said no, because her MS was inactive, she would not be eligible for um, ocrelizumab. I personally don't agree with that. Um, you know, when people want to switch transition from one therapy to another because they have concerns about safety uh, or the long-term use of that therapy, we, in our center, will go back and apply the eligibility criteria for an immune reconstitution therapy based on how active the disease was prior to starting ocrelizumab. And as she had failed a DMT with MRI activity, uh, she would be classified as having highly active MS and under our NHS England guidelines, at that stage, she would have been eligible for both oral cladribine and an alemtuzumab. She wouldn't have been eligible, however, for um, uh, autologous hemopoietic stem cell transplant or AHSTCT, because for that, in London at least, you have to have failed two DMTs. One of them has to be a high-efficacy therapy. And uh, as she had only failed dimethylfumarate, she wouldn't have been eligible for uh, um, stem cell transplant. So, you know, we offered a, uh, well, I offered her in clinic um, the choice between cladribine and alemtuzumab, and she was going to wait and think about it and come back. But it does highlight um, this difference, this dissonance between what one neurologist says and another neurologist uh, says. So I'm actually quite interested to uh, hear your opinion about the retrospective application of eligibility criteria. Um, it's a big issue because some centers apply it and other centers don't, uh, and that means people are going to have to shop around to get different opinions. But I think, you know, the guiding principle is we need to be flexible and accommodating of patients requirements throughout the course of their disease. And if um, they're doing well on a therapy in terms of our neurologist's opinion, in other words, they are activity free, but they have big issues around safety concerns, you know, who are we to say you can't switch to another treatment that addresses some of those safety concerns? Um, you know, one of the examples where neurologists don't have a problem applying criteria retrospectively interesting in it is when people switch from nalizumab to another therapy because they are high risk of getting PML or JC virus seropositive with a high JC virus index. 
interestingly there, they, uh, most neurologists don't have a problem with a switch. They're not saying to patients, oh, you've got to stay on alilizumab because your disease is inactive. Um, and I think the reason they um, agree to switching there is because it de-risks it not only for the patient, but for them themselves. They don't want to be responsible for a patient uh, getting PML. And I think they need to also think like that when they have a patient on colizumab. Do they want to be responsible if that patient got a severe lung infection from, say, a pneumococcal pneumonia, went into intensive care unit and died? You know, who's uh, and, and they turned down the switch. You know, At the end of the day, the issues are much the same. We just have to apply a consistent uh, approach to uh, uh, switching. Um, one of the things we don't really have, though, is a good evidence base. You know, when you're moving from, say, a chronic or chronic anti-CD20 with chronic B-cell depletion to an immune reconstitution therapy, you know, do we wait for B-cells to come back or do we switch immediately? You know, when going from LMP, going to alemtuzumab, there is this argument you'd like to start the alemtuzumab before there's B-cell reconstitution because it may reduce the risk uh, or reduce their chance of getting secondary autoimmune disease. Um, however, the other argument could apply, well, if you don't wait for the B-cells to come back, you may render these patients uh, B-cell depleted for a lot longer than they should be. And also, we don't know how efficacious, say, alemtuzumab is after ocrelizumab. You know, is it going to uh, normalized brain volume loss like it does in the in, uh, early trials. You know, is, there, is the data around disability improvement consistent? So there's a lot of question marks we don't know um, about this because no trials have been done. Um, so I suppose unless you do this uh, and collect data from these individuals, we won't know uh, if there are any safety or efficacy problems when we're doing this uh, particular transition from uh, chronic B-cell depletion on an anti-CD20 to an immune reconstitution therapy. So um, I've tried to illustrate uh, in a cartoon uh, using a patient with rapidly evolving severe MS, this retrospective uh, application of eligibility criteria. And uh, I assume this particular newsletter is going to uh, generate some debate and discussion around this. But I think you've got to try and put yourself in the position of the individual patient and kind of understand why she wants to switch from ocrelizumab to alemtuzumab or cladribine, not to do with lack of efficacy, but because of long-term safety concerns. And I think when you think like that and moving to an immune reconstitution therapy addresses some of those safety concerns, you know, who are we to say you can't switch? Anyway, um, let me know if there's any issues around this podcast. Please ask questions. I'll try and get back to you. And if you are con confused about disease activity classification, I would urge you to read a previous newsletter I wrote in uh, November last year about the eligibility for MS disease modifying therapy under our current NHS England guidelines. Um, it kind of tries to explain these issues. And if you are enjoying this podcast and newsletter and can afford it, I would urge you to become a paying subscriber. Uh, you're helping uh, support the development of the MS Selfie uh, website. Uh, and in the near future, possibly towards the end of the year, we'll be launching a, uh, a massive uh, open online uh, course um, called MS Selfie to uh, help people with MS uh, navigate the uh, quite complex treatment and management um, um, landscape. Just to remind you that the term MS selfie 
is not about taking pictures of yourself, but about self-management. In other words, empowering you with uh, information and the uh, necessary knowledge to uh, actively get engaged with your own uh, 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 MS management. And that's the guiding principle of this particular uh, uh, website. Thank you.